Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the History of Yugoslav Football Podcast. The end of our uh, Go Through the Golden Age, the trouble with trebles. After Partizan had destroyed the rest of the league the prior season, they proceeded to do the exact same in the 1962-63 season, finishing five points clear of Dinamo. In doing so, they would lose only twice all season. Away to third place Selyesnikar, and in the second eternal derby of the season. That latter victory was scant revenge for Siesta after their final derby hosted at the JNA, the 31st all in all, was won 5 0 by the away team Partizan, including a hat trick from Galic before Siesta moved into the Maracanã. Save for Dinamo, the other large sides in the league faltered. Vojvodina finished 12th, just outside of the relegation places, albeit with a goal difference of plus 3. Hajduk were only just ahead of them in 11th, with Stiesta ending up 7th. Challenging instead were Velez Mostar and Zelyesnikar, as for the first time post-war, we begin to see Bosnian sides at the sharp end of the league. Dinamo could, at least, console themselves with a cup win, having come from 1-0 down to win 4-1 in an eternal cup final against Hajduk, thanks to a hat-trick from Slavin Zambata in the final. At the bottom, yo-yo teams Burgnost and Sloboda Tuzla would drop to be replaced by the returning Vardar and new entrance to the top tier, Tresnevka. Before we touch on European football in that season, it's worth quickly touching on Tresnevka, as in the next episode, they're going to have a rather large involvement. The club itself was based in Zagreb, and began in the interwar period as Pannonia Zagreb, before changing to Tresnevka to be named after the area of Zagreb in which they reside. Their swift rise to the top flight was masterminded by Ernst Dubac, a former international defender in the run-up to the war, who played for BSK in Kudansky before moving into management. He began at Osijek, getting them into the top tier in the mid-50s. At the end of the decade, he took over at Tresnevka, managing the same feat. In getting promoted... Tresnevka ended up in the first cup for 60, the 63-64 season because, well, there wasn't a reason, save that they were the second best team in Zagreb and cities were still being represented. So when it came to European football in the 62-63 season, it would see some big steps forward. Albeit not for Partizan, who would be eliminated from the European Cup in the preliminary round by CSKA Red Flag, taking a notable 4-1 hiding in the second game at the JNA. But Partizan were only one of three Belgrade clubs competing in Europe that season. The Cup Winners' Cup saw OFK be Yugoslavia's representative. In the first round, they would squeeze past Shemi Haleluna, now Halescher FC, of East Germany, 5-3 on aggregate, in a first round that would also see the might of Napoli be forced to a playoff by Wales' Banger City, the only European game Banger would win for 40 years. The second round would be OFK's chance to run into one of the UK's minnows as well, beating Portadown of Northern Ireland 7-4, aided by a 5-1 home win in the first leg. Napoli, who had required a playoff in the second round also against Oipest, would be OFK's opponents in the quarters. And true to form, it would take a playoff in the quarters also. A 2-0 first leg win in Belgrade, followed by a 3-1 second leg loss in Naples. 
With away goals not yet being a thing, they would play off in Marseille a fortnight after the second leg, where a double from Paya Samajic would be crucial in a 3-1 playoff victory to the semi-finals and to London for a tie against Spurs. The early 60s were a high watermark for Tottenham, and the footage of the second leg comes to us from the wonderful British Pathé archive, which shows White Hart Lane in a game played in a downpour and a pitch that could serve as a potato field. Spurs had won 2-1 in Belgrade, but had lost Jimmy Greaves to a red card for the second game. Dave Mackay would put Spurs further ahead with a poked finish in London before Josip Skoblar scored from close range. Mackay would set up Cliff Jones to restore the two-goal aggregate leap just before half-time, and Bobby Smith would kill the tie with a diving header just after. The Romanticari would bow out, and Spurs would go on to demolish Atletico Madrid in the final to pick up England's first continental silverware. In the first cup, Sven Zvezda were the Belgrade representative, with Vojvodina and Dinamo also representing Yugoslavia. Given Vosa's disappointing season in the league, it perhaps comes as no surprise to them they were knocked out in the first round by a Leipzig 11, because some countries were still doing that gimmick. Dinamo progressed 2-1 past Porto thanks to an away win, while Siesta managed the same scoreline against Rapid Vienna. Both Dinamo and Siesta would progress beyond, beyond round two also, and both via playoff. Dinamo finishing the legs 2 all against Union Saint-Gilas, of Belgium and getting a 3-2 win in the playoff. Sviesta, meanwhile, took an altogether great scalp, that of Barcelona, winning 3-2 at the JNA before a 1-0 loss in Barcelona led to the playoff, with Sviesta winning 1-0. Spanish giants may have been disposed of, but Italian ones in the spring did for Sviesta, falling 3-2 to Roma in spite of a 2-0 win in Belgrade thanks to a double from Luca Malasseva. Dinamo, on the other hand, eased past Bayern Munich 4-1, taking them to a semi-final against Ferencvaros. They would win both legs to take Dinamo to become the first major European finalists in Yugoslavia's history. Their opponents? Valencia. Slavins and Barta would put Dinamo ahead early at Maximir, but Valencia would score late to win in Zagreb 2-1. With home advantage more crucial then than now, it meant the tie was near dead before going to Spain. And Valencia would score two late goals again to win the final 4-1 on aggregate. This third season of Partizan's title wins represents the end of the golden age of Yugoslav football. Over the next few years, it will be hit by tragedy, scandal, changed thinking, political strife and If we're honest, many of the shady things you probably originally subscribed to this podcast to listen about. There would be occasional shafts of light, but the period around this partisan trilogy of titles represents perhaps the peak of Yugoslav football on an international and domestic level. The generation of partisan's babies is perhaps the best side Yugoslavia will ever see on a consistent basis, and around it, the nation achieved comparative international success and other sides thrived around it. While the success of club sides would drag on a little after the Golden Age, the rot starts to come in the following season. What that rot is, is a story for the next episode, 
as this episode is going to take a look at the bare facts of that season, while the next episode will go into the ramifications of that season, as the ramifications don't become apparent until after the season after. Confused? You will be. Perhaps all that's important now, right now contextually is to mention that Hyduk continued to be poor throughout the 63-64 season, finishing 10th, and that new entrants Tresnyevka didn't do great either. The story of that season, as written within it, would be firstly at the bottom, around the returning Vardar. Just prior to the start of the season, a 6.1 magnitude earthquake hit Skopje, killing over 1,000 and leaving 200,000 homeless. The quake and resulting aftershocks destroyed three quarters of the city, and a massive relief effort was brought into play. Both the US and USSR contributed hugely, and those collaborative efforts saw the first friendly meeting between US and Soviet troops since the beginning of the Cold War. It impacted football also. The cultural impact of the tragedy was such that, although Vardar finished bottom, they would not be relegated due to the perceived morale damage it would have caused to the residents of Skopje. The fudge to this workaround was such that Novi Sad were the only team relegated, with NK Zagreb and Suchewska gaining promotion, meaning the following season would go ahead with 15 teams in the top flight. The league itself would see, similarly to Sheki a few years prior, the thrusting to prominence of a new star at Svenazjesta. Dragan Zajic, who had been plucked from obscurity by then youth coach Milan Miljanic, about whom we'll be getting to know much more in a couple of episodes. Much as the career trajectory of the Zvezda manager at this point, Misa Pavic, was tied to the start he found in the youth system of Dragoslav Sekularac, Miljanic's would be tied to Zajic. And the emergence of Zajic would be well-timed, considering the ongoing ban of Sekularac due to his referee assault, a season prior. Albeit, at this point, Zayic would actually be playing uh, on-off as a fullback or a winger, depending on how Pavic wanted to use him. Uh, he doesn't become a full-time winger until after this season. Save for a couple of defeats directly before and after the winter break, Siesta were dominant, securing the league by three points from OFK and Dinamo, with Partizan languishing ten points behind their city rivals. An even greater insult would befall Partizan in the cup, as Dinamo knocked them out in the semis by a score of 7-2 on their way to a 3-0 defeat in the final against Svena Sviesta, securing Sviesta the double. When it came to continental competition, the Balkans' cup continued to be beset by issues, primarily those of a mathematical nature. Radniki Nish, Yugoslavia's only representatives, went into Group B, a group in which every side pulled out as soon as they realised it wasn't mathematically possible to catch the winners of that group, Spartak Plovdiv of Bulgaria. Given that that was achieved in the first three games of the group, it made for a not very riveting competition. Yugoslav sides at least turned up for the first cup. Tresnevka, representing Zagreb, were unsurprisingly put out at the first opportunity by Portugal's Benenenses, OFK, however, were thrown against Juventus. 2-1 wins went to the home side in each of the legs, resulting in a playoff in Trieste, of all places. The City, 
having lost its disputed status and become just plain Italian, was happy hunting ground for its nation's side, as Juve went on to progress 1-0 after a late goal from Minicelli. In the Cup Winners' Cup, Dinamo would at least win a tie, unlike close neighbours Tresniewka, albeit their first round tie would require a coin toss to settle it in their favour. The toss of coin would not be required in their second round tie, however, after Celtic downed them 4-2, while in that second round, eventual winners Sporting would register a 16-1 home win over Apwell, something that, perhaps unsurprisingly, would go down as the biggest win in the history of the Cup Winners' Cup. All of which leaves us with Partizan in the European Cup. They would make it this time to the quarterfinals, although to get there they only had to best firstly Anorthosis Famagusta of Cyprus and then Jeunesse Esch of Luxembourg. Jeunesse would even manage to give Partizan a real scare, winning their home leg 2-1 before Vladic Kovacevic would score 4 in the second leg to take Partizan comfortably through to meet La Grande Inter who were in the process of easing to the first of their successive European Cup wins. And they kept Partizan at arm's length throughout, winning 4-1. This, obviously, is not the end of Partizan's European success. But the success of Inter would end up being something that would be much studied and, eventually, copied in Yugoslavia. But as Helenio Herrera would have been the first to point out, those who criticised Catanaccio as dull, were those who hadn't seen a team do it properly. And we now stand on the cusp of seeing that quite a lot. But that, however, isn't for the next episode. Because next time on the History of Yugoslav Football podcast, the name on everyone's lips will be Zelyeznikar's goalkeeper, Ranko Planinic. As Yugoslav football is about to explode in controversy. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to leave us a review, you can do on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, um, Spotify, and all good podcast providers. If you don't follow me on Twitter already, uh, you can do that's uh, Timo Mouse, T I M O M O U S E. Uh, and I will see you next time. <laughs>